you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold. I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, No man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Good morning, City on a Hill. How are we doing this morning? Good to be with you. Everyone enjoying the extra hours of sleep? And every parent said, how dare you? Hey, good to be here again. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Nick. Get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church. And uh, as Lily said, today we land the plane on this series in Joshua. Uh, we just had there a bit of a summation of the last two chapters that we're going to look at today. Before we do open our Bibles and get there, just wanted to celebrate uh, what our community was able to do and be involved in. Yesterday, we had our Love the City uh, event, well organized by Rosalie. Uh, And so we had three teams who got together across three of the different houses that make up Servants Community Housing in Kew and Hawthorne, uh, and they provide accommodation for those who are at most risk of homelessness. 
And so we all scrubbed and cleaned and weeded and pruned and really did whatever needed to be done. Uh, And so there were about 30 or so people who did that. We should put our hands together for everyone who was involved. Thanks so much. A few photos, I think. Axel, he was impressive. He lasted for two hours. I was impressed by that. Uh, And we do want to do that again. And so if if you missed out on serving, we uh, would love to uh, hear from you and we'll let you know when that will happen later on in the year. We're going to dive in now to the final chapters in Joshua, Joshua 23 uh, and Joshua 24. Turn with me to Joshua 23. Uh, As you get there, uh, let me tell you, this year Jules and I celebrate 13 years of marriage. Thanks, Darlene. Uh, And... um, that all started, that 13 years, and our children, you just saw one of them on the screen, the strength of our relationship. You know, it all flows from one day, one very simple, weighty choice that I put uh, to Jules on this one day. I remember the day that I proposed to Jules very well. It was a day uh, weighty with expectation uh, and pressure, and partly I'd put that on myself because I'd made a critical error. Gentlemen, if you are going to propose to your uh, girlfriend, uh, you don't want her to think you're going to do it earlier than you actually are, uh, because it adds a lot, of, a lot of pressure and expectation on that moment. And I'd made that rookie mistake, and so Jules was patiently waiting for the day to finally come. Uh, but I'd have a critical conversation with her dad. I've had two serious conversations with her dad in my life. One, to ask if I could date her, uh, and the second was to ask if I could marry her. And that's, that's kind of it. And they were both yes. Uh, and so uh, I waited for that to happen, and then the time was right. And so I plotted out the whole day. And the whole day was, was kind of set up to retrace the history, the story of our relationship to that point. And so it started where our relationship started, the food court of Doncaster Shopping Town. <laughs> it's very romantic. That was the first uh, breakfast that we had. And then uh, we uh, headed to the place of our first date, and that was the St Kilda Pier. Uh, and so we walked down the pier. Uh, and by that point, I think Jules had started to cotton on. She knew the story. She knew the context. She knew what had happened, uh, of what was going to happen. And so we uh, got in the car and we drove back east. And I encountered step, setback number one for the day. I had car trouble on the freeway. I had to actually pull over uh, on the side of the eastern freeway, but I wouldn't let that stop me. So we changed cars and then we headed out to uh, the Dandenongs, to the Sir Alfred Nicholas Gardens. Anyone know the picturesque, beautiful gardens there? There's probably been a few proposals in the room uh, at that place. Uh, and then we had setback number two there. Because another couple were in the exact spot that I wanted to be when I got down on one knee. Uh, It didn't matter. We pushed on again, transcended the setbacks. And I asked that one very simple, weighty question, will you marry me? Uh, I don't know if Jules even said yes. She just started jumping up and down. But the rest is history. Here we are 13 years later. You know, ever since then, our relationship has, has, has moved forward from that very simple choice that Jules had put to her. Here's a connection today. Oh, yes, there we are. Speaking of the weight, you know, carrying that head of hair around for a long time, it's, it's draining. There we are, two spring chickens. Uh, here's the connection. Today, Joshua himself is going to put a very simple yet weighty choice to the people of Israel. And it's a choice that has has really landed with such weight that it's been put to all generations of God's people since then. Last week, Ben 
got up before us and he, he mentioned that you, know, you could split Joshua kind of right down the middle into two different halves. First, you got Joshua 1 to 12, the conquests, Israel moving in. Then you got the second half of Joshua, of, of Israel moving into their inheritance and, and finding their homes and their allotments. Well, it's also true that today is another place that we could actually cut Joshua in half because Joshua 1 to 22 is all about God being faithful to his promises. Hope you picked that up over the last eight weeks. You know, we hear a lot in our culture, particularly when we're watching TV and the industry super fund ads come on. You know, people are like, you know, are you in an industry super fund? And someone's moving down an escalator and someone's moving up. And then the disclaimer comes up, doesn't it? It's, you know, past results are no guarantee of future performance. Or past performance is no guarantee of future results. I hope you picked up from Joshua that the exact opposite is true about God. That past performance is absolutely a reliable indicator of future results when it comes to God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. But now, in chapters 23 and 24, it's about our response to that faithfulness. How will we respond? What will we decide? Which way will we choose to go in response to God's faithfulness? This is what is going to be put to us today. So we're going to walk through uh, this epic couple of chapters here. We won't be able to hit every verse, but we'll hit the big idea of these two chapters together. We're going to do so uh, in three different scenes. Uh, the call to love, the story of love, and then the choice to love. Join me with in Joshua chapter 23. Uh, it says this in, in verse 1, just to set the scene. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers. And so we're about 25 years on from when Israel walked over into the promised land across the waters. And Joshua is now getting on. He was getting on last week, and he's getting on again uh, this week. And so he calls all the people of influence within Israel to, to come to him because he's got some final words, a final charge to put to them. And we won't go through it all, but he essentially reminds them that the Lord has fought for them and that the Lord will keep fighting for them, that the land is all going to be theirs. And he ends his charge like this in verse 6. He says, therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or be out to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for me, as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man puts, of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. And so Joshua finishes in the same way that this book started. 
He very famously said, and we took it as the, the subtitle to the series, didn't he, in, in chapter 1, be strong and courageous. And here again, he's telling them to be very strong. He tells them to cling to the Lord in verse 8, and then at the end there in verse 11, be very careful to love the Lord your God. It's a significant connection that Joshua makes between this call to love. He connects this, this final call, be very careful to love the Lord your God with the very first call, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. He's doing something that might actually be confusing for us in our culture because you and I, we dwell in a world that positions this whole concept of love as it being an emotion. It's very, very emotive. It's a, a feeling. Sometimes we might be at the whim of it. We can fall into it. We can fall out of it, we can feel it, or perhaps some days not be feeling it. And at the same time as that kind of stands before us as maybe the, the public marketing campaign of the concept of love, we also know internally, don't we, we, we feel the sense that actually we can also cultivate it, that we can do things to, to make ourselves love certain things more. It's as if love isn't just a desire, but love is also a duty. And so Joshua tells his leaders here, you've got to go about cultivating your love for God. Be very careful, he says, to love the Lord your God. This is what his leaders needed to hear. That if they're going to move from here, move forward, if they're going to obtain all that the Lord wants to give them, then they need to keep themselves for the Lord. They need to give themselves to the Lord. The great Anglican reformer in the 16th century, Thomas Cranmer, He's very famous, and we've quoted it a bunch here at City on Hill, very famous for saying, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. And that's very important for us to understand about how we as humans operate, that actually all of what we do comes from our hearts. Our life flows from our hearts that's driving us. And Joshua in this text is telling his leaders, though, that though that might be true, that their heart is what drives us, there are actually things that we can do to cultivate where our heart is driving us. Certain things we can do to shape and change our hearts. And so Thomas Cram is right, but it also works the other way as well. Our heart drives the will. It's confirmed by the mind. But at the same time, what we resolve in our minds, what we choose with our wills, our hearts will follow. Now last year, uh, some of us in the room will know we had the inaugural City on a Hill Melbourne East fantasy football competition uh, and a few of us and I especially you know we, we bought in you know we, we invested into that competition we had a fancy draft night and and we were all in on our players and you know last year I confess I gave myself to fantasy <laughs> footy and there are a few guys here who would be able to tell you there was a lot of testosterone flying around on that Facebook chat uh, of our fantasy football competition what happens when you give yourself to something is that, that your heart buys in. And so in this case, I was, I was there analyzing data and stats and inside 50s and comparing players to one another, and it changes your heart. And then the season ends, and you realize that footy doesn't love you back. <laughs> it just moves on without you, apart from you. And so this year, I didn't buy in. I intentionally distanced myself. I didn't want to be analyzing stats and data and comparing players. No, I still enjoy it, I can see the difference. It doesn't have a hold on me. In fact, this week, I forgot there was football on. 
Praise the Lord. And you know, in the same way, what we're doing here this morning, we're tending to our hearts this morning. That, that liturgy of, of waking up on a Sunday morning, liturgy of, of shouting at the kids to get them ready to come on, on Sunday morning, of driving into church, of finding a park, all to sit under God's word, to gather with God's people, to sing God's praises. You know, that liturgy of prioritizing church on a Sunday morning, each and every week, week in, week out, well, it shapes us. It changes our hearts. Making the choice to come to church is a choice to shape your heart in this direction. And so Joshua is telling his leaders, and through them he's telling us, to be very careful to keep doing the things that are going to help your heart keep loving God. There's a great book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. Uh, And in it he talks about this concept of, of keystone habits. Uh, and he steals that from another author who wrote The Power of Habit. But keystone habits are, are the routines that you do in your life that have like an overflow, waterfall effect down into other areas in your life. And if you get that central thing right, it actually impacts other parts of your life. So perhaps you, you choose to exercise more. But because you exercise more, you then uh, don't want to waste it. And so you start to eat healthy. And so your diet gets better. And because you exercise more, you've got to fit it into your schedule. So you wake up earlier. And so that means you go to bed earlier. And so just because of that one decision to exercise more often in your life, you end up having been fitter, having a better diet, getting more sleep, and then being sharper. And therefore, if you are sharper, I know at least for me, my psychology feels more positive. I feel more grateful to God throughout my days. And it all starts with that one keystone habit. And so notice here the connection, to come back to it, that Joshua makes here. This call to be very careful to love the Lord your God. What did he say at the beginning? Be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. So there's a connection between keeping your heart in love with God and keeping your eyes, keeping your mind, keeping your heart in God's word. That that connection is a keystone habit in the Christian life, in cultivating our hearts and our our love for God. It's making the Bible and keeping the Bible central in our lives. And this has been a repeated theme throughout the book. Ben touched on it last week. I've touched on it on multiple weeks. From the very first chapter of Joshua, we have seen this priority around God's Word. And that's because this is all about God's faithfulness. This book's all about God's promises, and it's the Bible where we find God's promises. The Bible is a a keystone habit in our life. You know, Psalm 19 tells us that if we are to make that central in our life, it actually revives our soul. It it makes our heart rejoice. It makes us wise, men and women. I brought up before the, the research that's been done by the Center for Bible Engagement. They found that if you engage with the Bible four or more times per week, that is the strongest and most reliable predictor of personal spiritual growth. That if you read your Bible four or more times a week, you are 231% more likely to disciple others, 228% more likely to share your faith with others, 218% more likely to give money away to causes other than church, 59% less likely to watch pornography, 62% less likely to drink to excess. Now, of course, it's not magic. Like You, you, open, the, you open it and kind of spiritual fruit just, just comes out onto you. Uh, no, the Pharisees read the Bible a lot. And yet, it does 
show us, doesn't it, that if we make the story of the Scriptures, if we make the promises of God the main source of content in our life, the input into how we interpret our days, our lives, our responsibilities, actually, it starts shaping us to love the God of the Bible, to do what the Bible is calling us to do, to see ourselves as who this Bible tells us that we are. It has a profound effect. It shapes our hearts. So Joshua knows this. So he tells the most influential leaders who are still going to be there when he is gone, cling to the Bible for the sake of your soul. Be very careful to keep and to do and to foster your love for God by loving his word. You know, Jesus said something over a thousand years later, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So all of us, we have this, uh, you know, sources of input in our days. Think about it for your day to day. What is the main thing that you go to to get your, your kind of content feast for the day? Maybe it's the newspaper first thing in the morning. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the markets and how they performed overnight while you're sleeping. Maybe it's the sports scores that you missed out on. Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's Hinge. Maybe it's Strava. What will actually serve your heart best and shape you most powerfully is that the primary source and content and input into your life be God's word. And so just like chapter one, be strong and courageous about clinging to God's word, holding fast to his promises, relying on his good news. And by doing so, put all your chips in on God's character. The call to love the Lord your God is a call to take up and read. And so that's the call that Joshua puts to his leaders and through them to us today. We're going to transition to the the next scene and we hear about the story of love. Because after calling them to be be very careful to love the Lord, uh, there's another moment where he gathers all the leaders together. So it seems that the text fast forwards to this second moment Joshua wants to have a covenant renewal type moment. Essentially have the people renew their vows to the Lord. But before putting the choice to them, he wants to remind them of the story. And so he sets it all out for them in this epic speech. It starts out this way in Joshua 24. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Sheshem and some of the elders, the heads, the judges and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And so he starts by going all the way back to the beginning of the story of Israel, the story of the family. And it starts when when Israel wasn't even yet a twinkle in the eye. Israel hadn't yet even been founded. Rather, it was the father of the forefather of the faith, uh, Abraham and his father, Terah. And Joshua reminds them that actually they were pagan. They were worshipping other gods. That Abraham wasn't chosen because he was this obedient, righteous guy. He wasn't chosen because of his impressive spiritual resume. He wasn't chosen because of his his great ideas about God and his correct theology. No, God just called him out. God just chose him. And Joshua keeps on going 
through the story. We won't read it out of the text, but he, he highlights that, that every step of the way, it has been God who has built the family. God chose Abraham. God gave Abraham against all odds. Isaac, and then Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Joshua continues to go on to say it's been God who rescued Israel. He sent Moses and he brought the people out of Egypt. And then he judged the Egyptians who were pursuing them to protect Israel. It's been God who in the wilderness defeated those threats who came against God's people. It's been God who brought them into the promised land. It's been God who protected them in the promised land. It's been God who gave them their enemies into their hand. And then he finishes in verse 13 with this kind of summary verse, which sums up his whole speech. He says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. In other words, their whole history has been the story of God himself choosing to love them. It's been a story purely all about God's grace. God's grace. The story goes that C.S. Lewis was once at a comparative religions conference and several people around him were debating, what is it that's unique about Christianity? And after a while, C.S. Lewis interjected and said, this is so easy. It's grace. Grace unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, unearned reward. God has done it all for his people. That's what separates Christianity from other worldviews or religions. Some religions are about do. Do this, do that, fulfill these obligations. Other religions are perhaps known for being about don't. Don't do this, don't touch that. Christianity is not primarily about do or don't. It's about done. It's about what God has done for his people. And now hearing this, as Joshua unpacks it before the people, shouldn't be surprising to them. Because God, through Moses, had actually told them what was happening before they even went into the promised land. He said this to them in Deuteronomy chapter 9. He said, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so Joshua is reminding them of the order that they need to keep. They need to get right in their minds that it is not about you or your performance. No, God has done everything for you. You're called simply to respond to his grace. Now, our hearts, being human hearts, are just like these people today. Because like them, don't we? We take that first call that, that I just kind of unpacked there from Joshua, that we're called to hold fast to his word, to cultivate a heart that keeps on loving God. And yet, instead of receiving those calls, uh, receiving them with wonder, we turn them into work. And so we think we need to love God so that he will love us in return. We think we need to read the Bible so that God will approve of us for how much time we've put in to reading the Bible. But the reality is radical. Sometimes we're prone to see the Christian life as like an Australian Idol audition. I know Australian Idol was just on. I didn't watch it. Did anyone watch it? Who was asking for another Australian Idol? I don't know. But it was on again. And we think, don't we, that the whole life is kind of the performance and how we acted and behaved and performed and achieved and accomplished and built a resume and a family and a life, that will come before God at the end. 
And at the end, he gets to judge us and give us feedback and, and tell us how he thought that, that we did in life. And then maybe we'll get in and maybe we won't. Well, what Joshua is saying about God in this story and what the message of Christianity actually is, is that God the judge has already decided. He decided long before we performed. And when we did perform, we actually performed very badly in our sin and our rejection. But he's decided before all that to pour out his love upon us. This is what the book of Ephesians says about us. This is about you and about me in Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And perhaps even more than them 3,300 years ago, we should know this very obviously in our day. You know, today being the week before Easter is Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar. This is the day we remember the, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and the crowd laid down palm branches before him to trot on over on that donkey. You know, in that moment, the disciples, we could forgive them. They could be excused for kind of not knowing how this was going to play out. They could be excused for not knowing, you know, is Jesus now, given that he's kind of royally walking on into Jerusalem, is he, is he going to ascend to the throne here? Or they could have listened to what he had said three times earlier. He's actually going to die on a cross. But we could excuse them for not knowing exactly how it's going to play because it was in the future. It was unknown. It hadn't yet happened. But we come 2,000 years later. We have the luxury of, of living in the future, looking back and thinking that 2,000 years before you were even born, before you'd done good or bad, Jesus had already died for you. Jesus had already went to the cross for you. Before we'd doubted or decided for him, before we'd performed in any way, Jesus hung on the cross. And what did he say? It is finished. It was done. The work of loving you, saving you, forgiving you, it had been finished before you were born. And so you and I should know all the more how much it is all of grace, all the work of God. If you are in Jesus, you don't need to guess how God feels about you. You don't need to imagine how the final day, the judgment day is, is going to play out. You know, imagine what it would do to your confidence, what it would do to your assurance, what it would do to uh, those moments in life when the future is uncertain, you don't know what to decide, what it would do for you in the midst of suffering or, or pain, in the midst of disappointment. Imagine how your approach to life would change if you could zoom on into the future and see that final moment when you, you come face to face with God. Well, the message of Christianity is that you can actually know how that's going to go today. We know because God has told us how that's going to go today. That in Jesus, He has loved us with an everlasting love. In Jesus, He's justified us. In Jesus, He's sanctifying us. And in Jesus, He will most certainly glorify us. And so just like for the Israelites, the call to love God for you and me is a call to respond to God's love. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. God goes first. God loves first. God saves first. And so everything we're called to do as Christians is a response to him. And so Joshua crafts out this story to compel the Israelites to hear this, to take heed of this, all that God has done for them. And then it comes to the crescendo. This one very simple yet weighty proposal that he puts before them. The choice he puts before the people. Let's turn to the choice. He says in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve, he says. And that is the choice that Joshua puts before his people. He's going to pass away very shortly at 110 years old, but his final message is is drawing this fork in the road. He wants the people to be conscious about which way they step. The false gods of the foreigners on one side, or the true God who has loved them on the other. And ultimately, in the, in the moment, we see if we, if we kept reading that, that, that God's people there, they, they, they do side with Joshua. They do choose to go along by saying, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. And we know because we can look back in history that, hey, that kind, of, that kind of worked for a while. It worked for a generation or so. But if you know everything about the book that comes next, it's a book called Judges, where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Today, I want to put that proposal to you. Today, that choice is our choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. On the one hand, we have gods and idols in our own day that are tempting us and calling us. And for us here today, it's probably temptations and callings of the gods of suburban modern life. Will we live to consume and accumulate as much as we can? Will we live to perform and achieve as much as we can? Will we live to be entertained and play as much as we can? Will we live to be as autonomous or free as possible and keep ourselves detached as much as we can? And you could insert all your own temptations here. Will we live for our kids and sign them up for as much as we can? On the other hand, will we live to serve the one who has given all of himself already for us? The one who offers us forgiveness and freedom and family a peace that overwhelms our guilt and shame, a rest that dwarfs our temporary current suffering and our searching, a hope that transcends all circumstances as hopeless as they may be. Choose this day whom you will serve. And so implicit is the question is the reality that God has given all of us real responsibility to choose. And God has placed in that responsibility real ramifications for that choice. 
And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're still exploring who this Jesus is, or maybe you're dragged along here today, well, you're welcome. The choice for you is will you choose to trust in Jesus or not? Jesus himself, in his own words, invites us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so you can choose Jesus today and believe in him. By that I mean believing that what he came to do, to live and then die upon the cross, he did so for you and for your sin. And that when he burst out of that empty tomb and we'll celebrate next Sunday, he rose as your saviour, conquering your sin, your death. And if you're here today and you've already chosen Jesus, and you're like, it's been done. Well, this passage reminds us that actually we have a choice to make each and every day. The choice for us is whether we'll keep choosing, whether we'll keep inclining our hearts, shaping our hearts, cultivating a heart that's going to love him, lest we drift away. And that's why we're constantly told in the New Testament to keep in step with the Spirit, to keep trusting Jesus, to keep choosing him day after day. And so our choice follows God's choice. He has chosen to love you. He has chosen to give his son in your place for you and to offer you in him everlasting life. And so choose this day whom you will serve. And so we're going to make that choice right now. And in true Joshua style, uh, I'm going to ask you to be strong and courageous. And so if you are choosing Jesus today, uh, I'm about to pray, but I'd love for you to stand up. Uh, and I'm going to pray for you and those of us who do. And so please go ahead uh, and stand if you choose Jesus today. Uh, and I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can know you as a gracious God because of all that you have done for us. We thank you that the story of human history is a story of you being generous and hospitable and, and gracious to your people by coming into the world that you made in spite of how we have treated you, in spite of what we have thought of you, in spite of having gone our own way. Lord, we thank you that you have interrupted and disrupted our lives in Jesus. Lord, we look back as the Israelites did on this moment to, to your faithfulness. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that our story is wrapped up into their story. Lord, that it was God's people that you decided to create and form in Abraham. It was our forefathers that you made as you made the line through Isaac, Jacob, that you brought out of Egypt that you gave into this promised land, that again and again you have shown your faithfulness and yet all the more to us as we look back upon what you've done in sending your son Jesus. And Lord, we look back at that story and grieve the ways that we have made choices in the past that have been a fork away from you. And yet still, Lord, you come and you call us out and you offer us grace and forgiveness and kindness and love. And so, Lord, we today choose you. Lord, we choose to be a people who cultivate in our hearts a love for you 
an ever-enlarging heart that is, is growing in our love and our commitment to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that today you would help us mark off the, the end of Joshua with a bit of a, a line in the sand moment that the, the modern day gods and idols that call out to us to find our identity and our worth and our value in. But we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd give us the strength to choose you when confronted with them. And so give us the power, your power, that we need in the day-to-day reality of life to prioritize your word, to prioritize your promises, to prioritize who you say that we are so that we might walk each and every day choosing Jesus, choosing to live for you. Lord, we repent of when we haven't. We're so grateful of your love that endures. Help us continue to choose you, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.